On this episode of Freight Up, we'll cover how a simple typo sent the crude market soaring. We'll speak with the world's only container futures broker. And we'll dissect how Russia's refusal to renew the Black Sea grain deal is impacting freight rates. All this and more on Freight Up. Hello and welcome to Freight Up. My name is Fernanda and I'll be your host as we navigate the seas of freight and commodities. Today's episode boasts five incredible market updates for you. We have R.T. Smith with the only fuel oil news you need, Carrie Deal with your freight update, How Pay giving us an overview of the Ferris Complex, James Robinson coming at us with Iron Ore, and for the first time on Freight Up and any other podcast, we have the world's only container futures broker, Peter my best friend, Stallion. Not to be confused with Megan the Stallion, but they are quite similar. But before we dive into those updates, FIS is proud to announce two incredible milestones in the derivatives trading space. True to our pioneering spirit, we've successfully brokered the first ever lithium carbonate futures contract on the CME and facilitated the inaugural trade of Brazil Urea options. These groundbreaking achievements highlight our commitment to providing you, our clients, with innovative hedging tools and expanding opportunities in the market, of which we will touch on today with Peter Stallion. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Freight up! And now for the first time on any podcast, Let's delve into the world of container futures with Peter Stallion. All right, Peter. So you are the one person on this blue marble who we can speak to about containers. So what are the new developments in the container futures markets? Oh, it's quite interesting, really, because we've been running this market on two exchanges for about a year now. We about a bit less, doubled our volume last month, mostly on the Asia-Europe trades, which is uh, pretty exciting. I think what's more exciting is what's driving all of these things sort of in the background because I think we've been working quite diligently to try and do a lot of the heavy lifting that's required to get this get this contract moving. It's not your iron ore, your fuel oil. We're not going to be talking numbers and trends. It's more setting up something brand new that everyone seems to want and can benefit from. Exciting progress. What sort of businesses have started trading container futures? It's been quite diverse. So... When we started, our heavy focus was sort of the middlemen of the market, the freight forwarders. Very recently, we've been seeing some pretty huge corporates come on board, which we're quite excited to see. Obviously, we can't name these people. It's sort of surprising and quite sizable market participants that we're really, really happy to have on board. And a few of the sell side, a few of the liners that we were, again, quite surprised at how willing they were to talk about this, given how conservative the interest industry can be sometimes and sort of progressing from there and i think it sort of all lines up with some quite exciting developments for the future right so on that note what is the future of container ffas well as you'll know john b is is very very bullish i think a lot of people in, <laughs> in the city are quite bullish this market they sort of appreciate the challenges as with most new markets but the exciting news we got, and we've been aware of this for a while, is the launch of a Shanghai Onshore Chinese Exchange product on the INE. And that's coming out in September. Wow. Um, essentially, we're excited to build this because of what happens in most markets when 
one of the Chinese onshore markets grabs it on futures, tends to mean that volume increases quite rapidly because of the R between these Chinese markets and something like the SGX. So reminiscent, hopefully, of something like uh, iron ore, same sort of story, really, in terms of how iron ore developed. And obviously, that's one of our biggest markets. So really excited to see what happens. And you've been using the Royal We here, Peter, because as we covered, you are the one container futures. Well, it's all, it's all a team effort in FIRS, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone's on board. They're all helping each other. I mean, I, I mean that truthfully, to be honest. I think um, it's one of those firms that they tend to encourage each other and everyone sort of cross sells amongst each other. And I think uh, especially from the dry market, which we obviously lead in terms of broking, a lot of crossover, which is also exciting. We mentioned this a couple of times. I mean, if you've spoken to me, if you're from the dry market and you're listening, you would have heard me going on about dry <laughs> versus container spreads and all sorts of exotic things. But um, that's going to become more of a possibility, I think. And uh, usually, if you're looking at dry, you probably should be also looking at containers, especially what happened over the past three years. So if you're not, shame on you. <laughs> no shame. We have Peter's information linked down in the episode description. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. No really still. appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. And we'll see you again here next week. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Yay! Oh, you heard it here first, folks. My work, BFF and I, going to be hanging out every Thursday. Here's Archie Smith with your oil update. This has been quite an event week for oil. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about what happened on Monday? Yes. So there was a bit of a mishap from a well-recognized financial reporting body. They released a headline, quite a major headline, stating that Saudi Arabia were going to extend their 1 million barrels per day output cut until the end of 2024. Obviously, as it stands, this cut was extended until August, so another month. So when this headline came out, it shows how reactive the market is. Crude instantly spiked $2. So we, I think it was trading around 78 levels. It, it spiked well above $80 per barrel almost instantly from a, a supply side factor here. You know, everyone's worrying, okay, there's going to be 1 million barrels per day less supply. So naturally, it sh rocketed it up and... Within it hitting the, the highs of the day, about $81 per barrel, that same uh, publishing body kind of came out and said, apologies, guys, that's not true. This was um, well, this all a big mistake. Took it back, and then we instantly shed those gains, actually coming down further than we went up, and then it kind of just went sideways for the rest of the day, really. And how are we doing now uh, on the cruise? It's still kind of finding a little bit of support. So we've been today, we've been hovering above $80 per barrel. Again, there's the same kind of supply side fears that I've, I've spoken about last week. There's less Russian barrels in the market. There's less Saudi barrels in the market. This is what people are thinking about. As well as this, it's looking like the US might chill out on the rate hikes due to some positive inflation data. Is that a financial term then? chill out yeah yeah it is. yeah, of course yeah. It is. that's what they say like in their the reports Auggies, that's yeah. what they say in their reports yeah <laughs> we're gonna chill out on the rate hikes okay got yeah, it i learned me. so much financial <laughs> jargon from you archie <laughs> exactly and further support in the market as well is u.s crude inventories are lower uh, uh, so we had the api data last night and the eia data both of those reported drawbacks of about seven hundred thousand barrels in the crude 
and also significant drawbacks in oil products. Again, just offering some support to the market. I mean, we're not seeing massive rallies by any means because, you know, there's still that kind of headwind of global recession, sluggish demand. China's had some pretty weak data come out recently. I think they was for, for Q2, they was expecting seven odd percent increase in, in GDP. They only, only hit 6% year on year. So again, you know, that does kind of cast a shadow over any major support that oil's finding, but it is definitely kind of, yeah, you know, holding steady around $80 per barrel mark for the minute. Yeah. So quite the eventful week. For yes. Crude. Monday was incredible when that headline came out. The spreads and cracks doing the 6.5 time spreads continue to to really crash today. Actually, oh wow! I think we've shed about a dollar fifty on the front Augie versus SEP contract that traded last at like two and a quarter. You know, for a bit of perspective, last night it closed I think around four dollars, and and I think week previous it was kind of six, around six fifty dollars. So that's really really come off recently. Just closing that gap in the difference in price between the uh, August contract and the September contracts, they're, well, almost flat now. There's only, you know, $2 difference in those contracts. And cracks have been super volatile today. Low sulfur cracks in particular. Looking at the front month, seeing 0.5 crack, that's swung like a dollar ten. We touched lows at around 6.20 per barrel. It opened at 7.30 a barrel, crashed down to 6.20 a barrel, and we've found some recovery this afternoon, kind of trading around $7 per barrel now. If I was to kind of give a, a takeaway of anything to look out for what's been major the past couple of days in the fuel market is definitely the volatility of the low sulfur cracks they've really been chopping about gapping 15 20 cents per trade all right archie thank you so much for your incredible insights as always we'll see you next week see you next week let's talk about freight with carrie deal a few weeks ago you shared an unpopular opinion I did. I shared a very unpopular opinion, uh, especially <laughs> in Greece, where I had just come from. Yeah, you got some. You got some flack for that in Greece already. <laughs> exactly. So, so what's happened? What's developed since then? Look, two weeks ago, the opinion I shared, which was informed by the fundamentals in the market, but also by our own technical guru Ed Hutton's charts, is that any jump in the Cape size market would likely be a dead cat bounce. And sadly, I believe that view has been proven correct. The physical market did see some green shoots with the C3 to Burao Qingdao iron ore route pushing back just above that $20 mark and the C5 West Aussie China with iron ore approaching eight bucks. The TA round also rapidly edged up to that $14,000 a day level. However, the market began to turn by last Friday with the physical once again falling back that Cape 5 TC average dropping from $14,028 back down to $12,178 today. What makes all this more striking and frankly, for me, a lot more worrisome for the rest of this year is that the ongoing weakness in the Cape market has occurred against this backdrop of a really striking increase in demand for dry bulk imports from China. One estimate has ton mileage demand on the big ships increasing by 4.8% year on year, and that's against really anemic, almost flat fleet growth. While China imported an extra 100 million tons more coal in the first half this year than they did last year at the same time. However, even all of this has not been enough to offset the vastly improved efficiency at ports, especially Chinese ports. And what that's done is it's cut the congestion down massively. So therefore, there's this tremendous drop in congestion levels, keeps many more vessels available on the market uh, and available to charter, and that keeps the rates lower. 
We have mentioned this before, but another indicator that I find worrisome is that the Chinese blast furnace utilization is up at 93%, approaching 93%. That's virtually at the theoretical maximum for BF utilization in China. And so, therefore, I just can't see any room for demand to grow from there in the second half of the year. What about the paper? The paper, the drop back has been felt acutely. That front month Cape 5 TC retreated from a high of 15,625 last week, last Wednesday morning, to 12,675 value at the moment on FIS Live. The Q4, seasonally the strongest period for capes and therefore usually the strongest contract when we look at that forward curve, also dropped by about 1,000 week on week, trading 15,550 value today. Please tell me that my Panamaxes are doing better. They have not, sadly. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they fared little little better at all, if any better than the capes uh, over the past week, having experienced a moderate bounce themselves that previous week, just like the capes did, that bounce having been driven largely by the Atlantic Basin. The front haul rates peaked at nearly $19,000 a day on Friday, with the overall 5TC in- index having made this valiant run at getting back towards a five-figure <laughs> number and sadly failing, uh, hitting a high of 9906 last Thursday. A good effort. Good effort. Nice try. <laughs> uh, almost there. In the meantime, the Pacific has stayed largely quiet and uninspiring throughout the past week. Sentiment flat and low overall there. And the main drain on tonnage during the, from the east during this time has been the P6 Brazil round voyage with grains. That's been kind of the one shoot of hope for draining some tonnage from the Pacific Basin. Um, But both demand and tonnage supply have been restrained for the past week. The rates have been drifting slowly off. Bids low, a lack of inquiry for that NOPAC round, especially on the Panamaxes. The Atlantic, which had been the hero the previous week, unfortunately got progressively weaker um, for this week. A pretty hefty tonnage list now seen off the continent. Even more ships now being returned to the market because of Russia's decision to end that Black Sea grain deal with Ukraine. We've already seen cargo canceled due to that decision. That's dumping more vessels back on the market. That is putting further downward pressure on rates at the moment. It will be interesting to see in my opinion, if anyone can actually revive that grain deal or if, let's say, Turkey or a third party can step in and guarantee it. But, you know, in the absence of something like that happening fairly quickly, this just adds to further downward pressure on those Panamaxes for the moment. And has that geopolitical situation affected the futures at all? It has. It has. The futures have also been hit probably a little bit more sharply even than the physical. Oh, no. Front month, August 4TC Panamax sliding from a high of 10,500 last Wednesday to 8,075 value today. Q4 has been a little bit better, drifting from 11,075 last Wednesday to $9,700 value today. So, you know, we have seen that paper sliding, even the Q4 now below a five-figure number. So, Well, Carrie, I yeah. look forward to the day you can walk in here with good <laughs> I news. I know, with good news, exactly. <laughs> so do I, believe me. All right, well, thank okay. you so much. Thanks Phenomenal very much, insights, as always. Cheers. Next up, James Robinson with Iron Ore. All right, James, so the latest growth print coming out of China was a bit lackluster, but you seem to think that it's not all fire and brimstone. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, from a Ferris perspective, it was a little bit more mixed than the the headline figure would suggest. So the headline figure being that in Q2, the Chinese economy grew just 0.8%, which is down from 2.2% in the previous quarter. 
But within that, crude steel production was, for the month of June was actually up and up 0.4% on the year. That's mid falling iron ore inventories. But the big figure from a fairest perspective within that uh, GDP print was industrial output. So industrial output proved to be pretty resilient, coming in at 4.4% growth, uh, which is both stronger than expected and up on the month of May. So the market was down on Monday, and that is to be expected after this kind of headline GDP print. But since then, we have absolutely surged. So, yeah. So, I mean, expectation of more property stimulus, you You, know. You said it again, James. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, it continues to grow. Put five pounds in the swear jar. (laughs) And that expectation is largely because the situation is so bad. So, on Monday, we also got news that development investment was down 7.9% year to date. And that's affecting houses primarily in tier two and three cities. So sort of the less populous ones, somewhere, somewhere like Wuhan or something like that. But we are also seeing a pretty significant decline in the tier one cities. So, you know, your Beijing's and your Shanghai's. So yeah, it's looking pretty bad across the board. And effectively what analysts are saying is we've been debating property stimulus for a long time, but it is a drag on the overall economy now. And it's pretty unavoidable. So we have been trading really quite high. Currently, at the time of recording, we are 114 and a half. Spreads have also gone very big across the curve. So just to recap, that's a total of 10 pounds that James has to put in the stimulus swear jar now. (laughs) What else is going on in various news? I mean, the news has been sort of like, it's been a gradual stream of like, so we had this very bad data print and people have obviously pricked up their ears and taken quite a lot of notice of it. And since then, we've had a steady stream of, you know, sort of commitments. So yesterday, the Chinese government effectively said they would support a series of industries. One of those industries, for example, being automobile production. Obviously, that's a very steel intensive industry. So that would provide us with a little bit of support. They've also announced a 11 step program for supporting consumption. So consumer spending within the economy. So consumer spending for the most for the majority of this year has actually held up pretty well. And most of the problem has been within the industrial sector. That does appear to be changing. You've got factors like the uh, 21% jobless rates among young people in China. Obviously, that's going to be a drag on, on consumer spending. So the government is doing quite a lot across the economy. The primary focus across the whole economy at this point in time is definitely the property sector. I mean, that is the one that is is holding things back. So whilst you do have these targeted measures in other parts of the economy, the property sector is going to be the defining one. So how's the market doing today? Because we're seeing such a mixed picture, liquidity really has ticked up quite considerably. There's a lot of sell-side indications. There is that resilience in the industrial sector that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, so it is It is a very good time to be entering the market, whether you're already on board with us or if you'd like to start that process, then please feel free to reach out to either myself or anyone on the Iron Ore desk. Fresh from his feature on Reuters discussing June crude steel production in China, here's how pay. So this is going to be a really heavy week on iron ore news because it seems like it's been 
everywhere recently. Exactly, it's true. Like for the oil traders, they ask what happened on the iron ore market. <laughs> it's like everywhere. It's uh, even on the equity market. The equity is really boring during the past week. You know, no matter where it's in European market and U.S. market, even equity traders come in and ask what happened to the iron ore. <laughs> it's iron ore index grew more like nine percent. <laughs> That's huge. Oh man! So last week it grew significantly. The iron ore index. What was driving that growth? There were several drivers, but all look like macro sign. That's why everyone is asking. First of all, the Chinese corporate stimulus light up the market sentiment last week. By then, investors expected consistent and more details of housing stimulus as well as. Automaking industry support coming out in late July, which was a timestamp to hold China's secondary important mid-year government conference. The first one was held already in March. Well, this is a second. Uh, this is a secondary important government this conference on Monday of this week. The house investment data was very poor, as well as the GDP growth in Q2 was one percent slower which failed expectation from major economists in China. Secondly, the fast depreciated U.S. dollar, I think that was a more direct reason for the growth of iron ore. That naturally increased the price of commodities settled in USD, which include copper, iron ore, oil, and almost all major, and some of the agricultural, like soybeans and coins, that all settled in US, U.S. dollars, so that naturally uh, support the price of those commodities. And there were several coal mine accidents that was happened from late June to early July, oh, no. which result in a huge growth in coking coal price. But that's becoming a rather indirect factor to support iron ore growth of early this week. We saw the BCE coking coal once growth by 4.6% in this morning. I think that has a connecting impact to the ferrous complex. I think that's the recent reason why well, the stimulus are going to be an earlier driver for the iron ore growth or indicators to drive the iron ore price. And is this growth sustainable? When we talk about sustainability, we have to go back to the fundamental side.、Uh, an interesting fact in our market is it always impacted by the macro market, but it's never going to be like month or year or quarter land. The normal impact from the macro market is only one week or two weeks. Sometimes it takes only two or three days. Well, if we go back to the fundamental side, first of all, I think. The Tangshan curve and the maintenance both mean the July demand should be limited, or in other words, July demand is going to be softer compared to June. Moreover, the EAS utilization rate in July improved significantly by 20 percent on a yearly basis, which means it will squeeze out some of the blast furnace iron ore usage. And by DC rolling active contracts from September to January. In the next month, some traders potentially think about closeout positions before the delivery month, which is going to be very illiquid. And I think the other interesting factor was 
It's mostly during early this week. The virtual steel margin as a leading indicator reached a year low at 147 yuan per ton. That is compared with a near 300 yuan per ton in early July. So it's down 50% in the last two weeks. As a result, we expected the physical margin would become negative again in the coming three to four weeks because it's also lagging compared to the to futures. By then, steel mills would start to control iron ore and coke buying again. And last but not the least, the high shipment in June and early July would cause the arrival at ports in high number in the following two or three weeks. So the fundamental side isn't really positive compared to the macro side of the iron ore market. So I honestly believe iron ore is a little bit overvalued at this point with index at 115. I think it will probably correct in the following two or three weeks if no more macro side news is supporting iron ore. Again, if I mean, if the metro side is quiet again, it will return to the fundamental side and start to correct a bit. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll be on the lookout for any major headlines that could prevent this correction. But in the meantime, any last words for our audience, Hal? I mean, iron ore is becoming a high liquidity tool, right? Which was close linked to macro change and all in the covert. So I think... The industry dynamics played only partial roles on the product. That's why it's not falling fundamental side every week. But I think that's the magic of iron ore. That's why investors coming to this market and looking to use iron ore or trade iron ore as part of their portfolio, so which can play an important role to neutralize some of the risk from other products. I think that it's both pros and cons of the product. I think that's why it's keeping the charm overall commodities. And it's a global tool. It's becoming much, much wide accepted from different markets. So these are some deep cut insights from Pay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. We've been so blown away by the amount of support that you, our audience, have been given us and we're growing in numbers every week. So if you've been listening casually so far, then, you know, take a chance, man. Just go ahead, push the subscribe button, follow us, go on our website, FreightUpPodcast.com. That's FreightUpPodcast.com and check us out. We'll see you next time. Freight up.